Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's Great Conversation is with Bronwyn Bancroft. Bronwyn is a Jabin clan member of the Bundjalung Nation. She's an artist, a designer, and an illustrator, creating more than 40 books. And her latest book for children is Clever Crow, written with Nina Lawrence. I'm Andrew Popel, and every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney, and I speak with an Australian writer, and together we explore their books, writing, and literary culture. And the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast is a way to expand on that discussion. This is our last episode for 2018. Thank you to everyone who's joined me. The podcast is now almost six months old, and we've had 30 episodes as well as bonus episodes. It has been a great ride, and I appreciate everyone coming along for, for it. Um, look, I, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you are, can you give us a rating? Let me know. I appreciate the comments. I love the ratings, and it's also a way for other people to discover great conversations, great Australian writing. So let's uh, let's keep sharing the love. I'm looking forward to 2019 and so many more books. And let's finish so strong because Bronwyn Bancroft is an amazing illustrator and Clever Crow, well, Clever Crow, or Wakliya Jambach, as it is in Jamapunya, is the story of a hungry crow searching for a meal. Now, Jamapunya is a Yolnu language from East Arnhem Land and Clever Crow is told in both Jamapunya and English. Now, this is a story exploring relationships between humans and animals as a cheeky crow tries to steal a turtle egg and finds it's not as easy as it looks. So join me and discover this amazing bilingual Australian children's book and share it with someone you love. You're tuned into 2SER 107.3. This is Final Draft. I am Andrew Popel and I'm joined on the line by Bronwyn Bancroft. Bronwyn is a Junbin clan member of the Bundjalung Nation. She's illustrated and or written nearly 40 books since 1992. And trust me, if you have children, you work with children, if you've been a child in the last 20 years or so, you will have come across some of Bronwyn's wonderful work. She's won numerous awards. She's an artist. She's a designer. She was a founding member of the Bumali Aboriginal Artists Cooperative, where she served in numerous roles, as well as having exhibited there. As you might guess, she is incredibly busy, so I am so happy to welcome her to Final Draft to discuss her latest book, which was written by Nina Lawrence. It's called Clever Crow. Bronwyn, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, Clever Crow, or Waklia Jambach, as it is in Jambapunyu, is a story of a hungry crow searching for a meal. And Jambapunyu is a Yolnu language from East Arnhem Land. And Clever Crow, it's told in both Jambapunyu and English, which is just, it's so fantastic for all the readers that are going to be enjoying this book. Um, it must have been a pleasure to, to work on something like this. But I was wondering, before we get to the wonderful book, can we talk about your art? Because you've, you've had such a, a, an expansive career. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's been going for a while. <laughs> it's ticking over. Um, you know, I, I I always say to you know when I do any presentations to schools or whatever, you just have to live long enough as an artist to get the rewards. <laughs> I mean, you know, not financial rewards, but just you know, people actually coming back and and, and particularly in Australia, I think where we tend to elevate and have like a star system where we just we really focus on just a few stars and I, and I think everybody's a star in the universe of life so uh, as far as I'm concerned I think everyone that creates is amazing and I don't like elitism in the arts at all 
mm. and work um, very actively to uh, remove myself from the ego around it. But I love doing what I'm doing, and I feel uh, exceptionally, um, you know, grateful that I've been able to conduct a career for over 30 years and, and enjoy it, really. Yeah, amazing. Well, as I said in my intro, your, your first work for children, it came out in 1992. So there is a generation of, of adults and children that are growing up now that have experienced your work, but you've been collected by the National Gallery, State Galleries across the country, as well as private collections around the world. As a designer, you featured in Paris. That's a huge and diverse audience. Where does creativity and storytelling begin for you then with, with such an audience? I think um, one of the major things uh, for anyone that's undertaking to do any kind of career in the arts is to be multidimensional, like in terms of, um, I suppose there's different terms for it, but multidisciplinary, um, um, but at the same time be absolutely authentic to the truth within your work. Like I, um, have, like, I just don't do anything that's fashionable. Like I, I'm not a digital... Um, you know, person, I mean, obviously I use a computer and all of that stuff, but I don't do computer-generated imagery. Um, it doesn't interest me. The, the, the translating of putting my images onto canvas or paper is the ultimate for me. Mm. Um, so basically, I, but I do work across a lot of mediums because as an artist, you have to make an income, and I've raised three children as a single parent on an artist income, so I've been very diverse across those art form ranges to create enough income to put my kids through school and uh, secondary education, and um, and be there for them and make sure they've got a you know a home over their head, a roof over their head. So it's an um, it's I think the portfolio is I love having a diverse portfolio. It's always engaging. Now I think I'm going to acknowledge right now that I, I'm going to fail in my vocabulary to. To create a picture of your art, I'm going to encourage people to get out there and read Clever Crow, read any of your books, uh, or, or check out your art. But as I as I read the books, I was transfixed by your use of, of movement and color, scale and pattern to invest the narrative in the illustrations. The words, uh, Nina's words in Clever Crow are amazing, but I, I could read the story also from, just from your illustration. So what goes uh, into developing and crafting this visual language for you? Um, I think one of the things with Clever Crow, which um, when I was working with Mugabella and I have done like the 41 books, I just, uh, at the beginning you'll see that I've actually done it in black and white because I really wanted mm. to surprise the kids and just sort of, and because I'm known for colour. So I thought, oh my God, I'll do the first full page, like the first double spreads as black and white and they'll be going, oh my God, what is she doing? <laughs> and then that just sort of moves, I've, I slowly integrate the colour. So... When I read the text, and because I particularly wanted to, because um, Nina's only 18, mm. um, and I wanted to work with Mugabala, um, and, I, and I, I, I dropped my rates by four-fifths to do this work. So a book takes quite a long time, so I actually cut my rates down by four-fifths of what I would normally charge um, to, to do the book, because I thought, well, an 18-year-old, um, you know, girl from Yurikala, that she wants to... Um, do writing, this is a really good um, platform for her to launch potentially her writing career off. Mm. So um, largely, you know, I've developed the design and how 
I would like the words to flow across the bottom, but not emblematic of a rainbow serpent, which someone tried to read into it, but it's not. It's just using a form to be able to um, have some lyricism or lyrical, like, motion on the page for kids. And um, and I love colour and I love, like, investigating stuff, so um, I hope that the kids do too. Yeah, let's let's go there to that those opening couple of pages. We have I particularly enjoyed this juxtaposition. So in the first few pages, there's sort of splash pages of clever crows search for food, can't find food anywhere, and it's sort of soaring and then looking, and it's almost monochrome. And then the discovery of the turtle egg, and there's suddenly this riot of colour. For me, it almost evoked this sort of the sparseness of the time when he couldn't find food, and then the the, the finding of food. So, but preparing for our chat, I also read a few of your other books, and I realised how much in these these pages you were actually teaching me about looking at and noticing details in the world. Is that a part of what you want to give readers? Definitely, I think we. You know, I walk around with my eyes down, in front, and above. So, like, I don't. You know, I work on 180 degrees. I, I I'm always catching. And I think my Uncle Pat taught me that, my dad from uh, living in the bush, um, how to look at, for everything because, you, you know, you've got to look when a bird's there or you've got to see when the storm's coming or you've got to see, you know, uh, you know, read the sky or you've got to notice if there's a snake, you know, somewhere. I mean, you've really got to be alert. And then when you're alert, you actually, um, you're welcoming into your brain and your senses uh, the diversity of nature and I obviously have um, in, in total adoration of nature and I'm, I'm absolutely horrified with what we're doing with this world and the ignorance of people around climate change. So um, I'm trying to increase people's um, visual perception around the world that they live in, including picking up rubbish. Mm. So if I go to the beach uh, where I currently live in Byron Bay, I'm always coming back with rubbish. But if every single person took responsibility for themselves then we wouldn't have that problem so you just you just actually got me thinking there um in our in our race to sort of become this incredibly digital culture words get privileged and there's always talk around literacy when it comes to discussing education but mm. have we become almost monoliterate when we think that the only way to read is to read words on a page absolutely because, yeah. got it in one brother mm. yeah I think that visual literacy um, is an incredibly important tool for children to be able to overcome the difficulties. I mean, I still don't know how to spell friend. I still don't know how to do quota. Um, and I have to do the I before E before C thing. Um, so, and I've done a PhD, but this isn't like that. That English is a, it's highly problematic you know, language to actually get your head around and, like, why do these things make sense? Um, so I think that children can learn really in a, in, you know, very much from the visual literacy. Some of the, some of the things that teachers send me, um, which is incredible for what the children have done and have been sparked from the illustrations and then they've created their own illustrations inspired from what I've done, it's pretty incredible. Mm. And then they put their words to it. And, I mean, basically, I couldn't care less about whether they can spell the word or not because they'll know it. Like, I'm 60 and I don't know how to... And I'll admit that I don't know how to do those things. I have to go back and check it. 
But at the end of the day, they're default moments in my memory, but it doesn't stop me from uh, learning as I get older. And we we have such a hang-up on literacy, we need to make sure that we um, make the student and the person holistically all-rounded, like that they have the ability to be able to cope with all of these different things through their learnings. And I, you know, like that nap plan stuff, I think that's just sucks. I mean, it's just too much pressure on these children. It's crazy. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. In my day job, I'm a speech pathologist. I work every day with kids, helping sure. them develop literacy. And, and with the children, with parents, I, at some point you are always putting your hands up and you're saying, and for every rule I teach you, there's always going to be an exception. And it's just, it's, it's so difficult. Mm, indeed. Yeah, mm. for sure. Yeah. So Clever Crow, Clever Crow is written by Nina Lawrence. She's a descendant of the Gimoy Wallabara Yindinji mob. And the story that she's written, it's shared in both English and Jambapunya. What did it mean for you to collaborate on a bilingual work like this? Um, I just think it was, it, it's just good to um, have more Aboriginal uh, literature out there. I think, you know, one of the things that drove me to. Um, and propelled me to actually become a book illustrator was when I was a young girl. There were no books um, in any of the libraries um, with content or information about Aboriginal Australia, which I think, obviously, you know, that is part... that, that That's fully remiss in our whole average, uh, our education programs and curriculum that we don't have. And a compulsory Aboriginal, you know, um, culture and history and art in the curriculum because at the end of the day this is the country that you know the custodians are Aboriginal people so we should really be doing um, our learning at the beginning of that of what this country represents in Australia like for Australia so when I was propelling you know wanting to do that it's it's I've, it's been a personal campaign to try and introduce as many books as I can during my lifetime so that there are like you say, a generation of people that actually grow up with it being quite, you know, just a normal thing, which it certainly wasn't in my generation. Mm. Now, the story, we've I feel like I've neglected the story of this wonderful book. Clever Crow, it follows the story of this crow and he's looking for a meal. Very cheeky. Yeah, and he's, his cleverness, I love that he's called Clever Crow because his cleverness is being constantly tested by circumstance and he meets other birds and other animals as well as people whom he ultimately steals the turtle egg from. Can you tell me about the, the personalities and the way these personalities interplay, especially between the human and the animal characters? Well, I think, isn't it, that the funny thing about it is that they're all checking it out. The old man's in the canoe and he's got the got the egg and then suddenly he doesn't have it. I mean, you know, the, the whole, you know, configuration of the text around how they lose it, they have it, they lose it, it's really humorous and... Like, you know, the fact that he actually ends up with it at the end is, like, hilarious, I think, and it's kind of comical, and and I think that when you're looking at, um, you know, like, the idea of animals getting food, it's actually a serious business to be Mm. able to collect food and eat, um, similar to humans, you know. But in this, this, you know, book that Nina's done, she's actually just put such a fantastic humorous slant on it that... Mm. You can just have a little chuckle and like it, and go, oh my god, he's at it again. He's going to get it. And you're like, you can't believe that he's actually going to get it, but you don't think he is because once the human has it, you think, oh, they've they've completely got it. They're you know they're clever. They'll you know they'll never let the clever crow get it. So I think the fun 
that she's introduced in the book is uh, and playfulness is a part of what um, we should all look forward to, you know, in our lives. And, and if we lose stuff, just be happy that someone got it. Like, you know, don't get too wound up in that. So, yeah, I, I loved it. I think it was just so much fun. And, you know, I think she just did such a great job. And it was a delight to, to illustrate. That was what, and what you just mentioned there. That was what struck me is there's this sense of not not so far as desperation, but everyone wants this egg for a reason. But yeah. when when the egg's lost, there's there's no sort of crying and gnashing of no. teeth. Everyone's very matter of fact about it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, cause, you know, and I think that's a great philosophy in life. I mean, you know, things come and go. Materialism sucks. I mean, you know, you know that's that's not where we should be at. We should be looking at all of the defining moments in our life where hardship actually teaches us. And I think that's, um, you know, one of the lessons that we could all learn from a very early age is, um, you know, just to accept that sometimes we're going to lose stuff. Mm. Now, we've already mentioned that Clever Crow is written in both Jambapunyu and English, and Jambapunyu is a, it's a Yolnu language from East Arnhem Land. I'm going to say now, I've meant to say it at the beginning, that my, I apologise if my pronunciations are, um, this is a second language for me, if my pronunciations are not precise, but we have this, this wonderful bilingual book. And across the country, there's a growing movement to have languages being taught in schools. Now, as I said before, I'm a speech pathologist, so I know there's this immeasurable benefit for children who develop language bilingually, no matter what that language is, what your your home tongue is, and if you're learning English or something else. But I wondered, do you have thoughts on what this could mean for us as a country that still doesn't even have, we don't have treaty, there hasn't been constitutional recognition of First Nations, for languages, especially, especially like local nations' languages, to be taught in schools? Well, you know, yes, we have to grow up, don't we? I always say that, like, it's the oldest country, you know, living civilization in the in the world, and the most immature governments that have prevailed, um, and it's too anglicised for a start. And you know, the relevance that only um, English, you know, colonialist history matters is just, you know, really, it's quite wrong. And I think, as a nation, if we can get these. Um, you know, different uh, language books out into... We can get a groundswell. I've always believed in grassroots. Um, you know, I've believed in grassroots organisations. I've believed in grassroots as I believe that people are... And, you know, the wave of humanity um, are the things that will create change, not governments. We are the people that can actually go to the and say, you're not going to be in government because you're not going to do anything about climate change. And you know what? We want these, you know, bilingual books in our curriculum and we want to embrace that. And you know what? We want to learn how Bundjalung language and we want to learn, you know, a Dungari language and we, we want to learn, you know, Gumbangia language and we want to be um, able to converse with Aboriginal people in those languages. We want this. So I'm very... Um, uh, excited about the idea that I that potentially I might be able to get a bilingual Bundjalung book um, with my publisher. So, but I'm already two books. I've already deferred like two books. So mm. I'm I'm running behind, and I've, I'm going to run out of time in my life if I don't sort of get onto stuff. So, hopefully, you know, maybe not next year, but the year after, we can convert and and have a, a book um, that we can bring out. But I'm, I think. Hopefully, we'll get a groundswell across the nation with publishers actually embracing it. It's happening. It doesn't. It doesn't get more grassroots than the children at 
at preschool, in, in primary school. And I know, I know it must to you look like a long to-do list, but all I heard was the excitement of a couple more books that we can look forward to. Definitely. Well, one of them is my daughter's. Like, so my, I've, I've illustrated one of my son's stories, and then I think my daughter's done this beautiful book about the sun and the moon, which is just her story, and it looks like that might be accepted, um, and I want to illustrate that. And then I've, um, I've done a poem called Home, which we've converted to a, a book, which I've, which I've got to deliver in March next year, but of course I haven't started it, but it will get done. Yeah, yeah. Time, time over December, January. Oh, yeah, yeah no, nothing like having a break. <laughs> I know, yeah, never happens. Um, Everyone, I am speaking with Bronwyn Bancroft. We are, she's, she's the author, illustrator of more than 40 books. Sorry, I got that wrong at the beginning. Uh, and her latest is Clever, Clever Crow. It was written with Nina Lawrence. Bronwyn, thank you so much for the time. Um, I want to say, uh, Bugulwan. I, I hope I've pronounced that correctly. Bugulwan. Bugulwan. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you helping me share, uh, Clever Crow with two SER listeners. Excellent. It's been a, it's been a privilege and have a beautiful day. That's it for this great conversation with Bronwyn Bancroft. Bronwyn's latest book for children is Clever Crow, written with Nina Lawrence, and it's out now through Magabala Books. Great Conversations is recorded on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation at 2SEL's Broadway Studios in Sydney, Australia. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. And this is our last show for 2018, so thank you for joining me in creating this podcast. It's nothing without you, the listener, and I really appreciate your help in sharing the love of great Australian storytelling. If you want to keep up with us, if you want to keep up with the latest books, writing and literary culture, find out when our first episodes for 2019 are coming out. It'll be sometime in late January. Uh, you can join us on social media. Just look for at Final Draft 2SER on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever you get your socials. My name is Andrew Popel. I'll be back next year with more great conversations from Final Draft. So, Happy New Year, and I'll see you in 2019.